This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 410. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. And today I'm joined by a special guest, and we'll introduce him formally here in a moment. But uh, George, why don't you tell everybody hello? This is George Harris. How do you do, everybody? Uh, Glad to have all of you on board with us. Hopefully we'll uh, put something out that'll make, uh, make your life more meaningful and make you shoot a little bit better. Absolutely. Well, that's, uh, I think that's a, well, it's a mission that I'm on. I'm always trying to get better. And I know many of our viewers and listeners are also passionate about the subject of shooting. So we're going to talk about a lot of these things here today on this episode with George Harris uh, of International Firearms Consultants and also one of the original founders of Sig Sauer Academy. I guess Sig Arms Academy at the time. That's correct. Yeah. So uh, lots we're going to cover in today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored and brought to you by Guardian Nation. Uh, you've, you've heard it before. Many of you are probably sick of hearing about Guardian Nation. But you know what? We're really proud of uh, the fact that you know this is, the one of, I think, the best and one of the fastest growing pro-gun, pro-concealed carry, pro-shooting organizations out there. And this is the special place that our members get to interact, mingle, and learn. We've got our Guardian Nation members-only Facebook group. We do these monthly live broadcasts with industry experts and professionals. And in fact, George Harris, our guest on the podcast today, will be this up, this next upcoming Guardian Nation live guest, uh, which is on April 30th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. And so really, I'm, I'm super excited to get together again with you, George, and, and uh, do that special broadcast that is uh, only put out there to our members. Uh, but guys, if if, if you know, you're welcome to learn more about Guardian Nation at guardiannation.com. Uh, but if you need just a little bit of a push, you know what? We don't really advertise it that much, except for on the podcast. But if you need a little little push, consider joining Guardian Nation and checking it out in a 14-day free trial. No commitment. Just, just sign up, 14-day free. And uh, you can be part of that GN Live broadcast next week. And you can check out and take advantage of all the other amazing benefits of membership and that is found at concealedcarry.com forward slash 14 day one four d-a-y so let's get into it now with george and uh george you again you're with a i mean your company is international farms consultants correct again i we, we mentioned uh, you're one of the the uh, co-founders of Sig Arms Academy, which now is known as Sig Sauer Academy, which I've had the pleasure of attending, and is a, f- a fine uh, training establishment. And, Wonderful place. Uh, yeah, it really is. I mean, and it's in a beautiful place too. Although in February, I would say it was still beautiful, but uh, a little cold when I last attended there. <laughs> yeah, a little chilly. I I live um, four miles as the crow flies from the academy. I'm, I'm sitting there as we speak and uh, we had snow here yesterday. So yeah, uh, it hasn't warmed up yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, even though I'm in Denver and it's relatively mild, Denver is a roller coaster ride of weather uh, ups and downs. And I'm sure we'll see more snow before the summer is truly here as well. So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm well familiar with that, that, uh, that area as well. Yeah. But I'll tell you, you know, I, I kind of look at Six Hour Academy as like the mecca of of gun training and gun stuff. I mean, one, there's a lot of a lot of history in the area there, uh, just relating to the Second Amendment in general. I mean, we go back to the foundations of our country. Sure. And uh, of course, there's Six Hour, uh, the, the 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 you know the Six Hour, uh, the American uh, uh, base of that base of operations, and the academy and the pro shop and everything that's there. Uh, it's like you know, it's like Disney World for for gun enthusiasts and and trainer, you know, people that want to train. So, uh, George, you know, tell tell us, uh, kind of, how did you even get? How did that sort of opportunity even come to you? Like, what's the beginnings in the industry for you personally, and how real, did you get real, to that point? Real, real interesting. Um, so, um, oh, geez. I I uh, went in the military in 1970, 
uh, was an infantry soldier, uh, small arms armor, and uh, was, um, I guess, a big mouth at the time. So uh, they decided they needed uh, somebody to go to drill, drill corporal and then drill sergeant school. So I became a drill instructor in 72. And um, since I was a shooter, you know, I, I, I grew up with this uh, unhealthy love of firearms. You know, it's just <laughs> if it had a trigger and a muzzle, I was all over it. So um, I started teaching the, uh, you know, the basic rifle marksmanship course. And, and uh, you know, that's that was, you know, kind of my thing. Uh, I was a pretty good shooter, so I got picked up on some of the competitive teams. And uh, at um, at region level, I was shooting against a fellow by the name of Bank Miller, who was also uh, uh, in the in the military at that point in time. And uh, Bank was uh, was a guy that was giving me a lot of trouble. I I was a pretty good hardball shooter, and uh, was uh, you know one of the top shooters of, of my class at that point in time, and Bank was about the only person that uh, was beating me in uh, the matches that we shot. And uh, so I decided I was going to go meet this guy and see if I couldn't break his index finger and eliminate the competition. But uh, Bank turned out to be a person that uh, I will tell you today: if you don't like Bank Miller, you are a social misfit in my mind. So. Uh, Anyhow, Bank and I became great friends, and um, over the years, uh, from a military standpoint and otherwise, Bank and I would lose contact with one another, and then we'd come back in contact, and back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth. And um, he um, got an opportunity to uh, start a, a, a military training program in uh, 1988-89 time frame and um, he asked me if I would uh, work with him and uh, and help him with this program and uh, so we did uh, in nine months we put a uh, program together for the 310th TACOM that uh, allowed us to be the uh, the uh, top combat team and the reserve program and we were second only to the 82nd uh, airborne folks at uh, all army and we saw that we had some talent at that point in time with bank and i working together uh, simultaneously ted rowe who was the president of sig um, was working with bank now bank's civilian job uh, was um, uh, chief firearms instructor for the drug enforcement administration so uh, Naturally, uh, in the the late '80s, everybody in the the gun business was trying to uh, transition the law enforcement community, in particular, from revolvers to semi-autos. No, oh, looks like uh... so. so the uh, it, it loses. Yeah, you froze there on us for just a moment. Okay, yeah, you, you were you were you were just starting to talk about transitioning from revolvers to semi-autos. Okay. All right, well, we'll go back to that. Anyhow, so uh, Bank was chief arms instructor for the Drug Enforcement Administration. Uh, was um, interested in getting Sig involved, and and um, Ted was uh, uh, kind of a innovator and a pretty smart guy at that point in time, he realized that um, training had to accompany transition from revolvers to, uh, to handguns or to, revo- uh, to uh, pistols. And um, the, the idea was to provide armorers training, transition training that, you know, that basically is a, is a handling type course. The armors course was maintaining troubleshooting and repairing and then for the larger agencies to put together an instructor program so that uh, their instructors could be trained to do the transition uh, for their their respective agencies. So um, since I had a training background militarily, Bank had a training background um, uh, as well, uh, you know, from the, the federal standpoint, you know, we were natural shoe-ins. 
And um, for a brief period of time, we had a fellow by the name of Jim Fry, who was also one of our military folks that uh, came and helped us with the administrative end of things. And, and uh, uh, like I say, he, he was there for a brief period of time, but he was one of the military folks that, uh, that helped us out as well. So, uh, anyhow, Bank and I uh, were given the, the responsibility of putting together the training programs. We did that, and then um, we started to expand into other areas of um, uh, law enforcement, military-type training. Uh, eventually, uh, the administration at uh, SIG changed, and we ended up having to uh, go from a, uh, a cost center to a profit center, which meant uh, we needed to make money. Right. And uh, we had to find a way to, to uh, you know, add, add additional classes and that kind of stuff to the till. So, um, you know, we, we opened it up to the, uh, the commercial, the civilian market. Um, we had um, a, uh, uh, real brainstorm with uh, getting women involved. And I think we were probably the first major organization to get uh, to specifically get women involved doing women's only courses, you know, and, in, mm -hmm. in, uh, in that category. And um, my wife, Linda was the first female firearms instructor uh, at the SIG Academy. And in fact, uh, I should say my late wife at this point, uh, she passed away in 2018 but um, with uh, the USCCA, we have established a uh, Linda Harris scholarship fund for female firearms instructors in, uh, in an effort to get more women involved in shooting, shooting sports and personal defense. And, um, you know, that's, that's in memory of her and, and uh, the trailblazing she did at SIG. So long story short, Bank and I were friends from the early 70s and, you know, things just kind of worked out that um, we had um, an opportunity to get together and to put something together. We knew we both worked well together, which we still do. And, um, you know, the SIG, SIG Academy or SIG Arms Academy at that point in time was born from there. So, mm. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's quite a story. And, uh, you know, it's obviously a legacy that, that lives on because whereas other, other manufacturers that have even had their own academies and training schools and whatnot, a lot of those have come and gone and yeah. six, well, seven we watched, academy is still here. Yeah. We watched Smith and Wesson, you know, Smith and Wesson was the premier academy, you know, and they, uh, you know, at that, that point in time, they were the, the, the leaders of the pack and, you know, Corporate uh, decision making and uh, you know all kinds of different things have caused them to essentially go away. And of course, H uh, and uh, K, John Meyer and his company, um, you know, were spawned off of H and K with his uh, with Team One. But you know, they had a, yeah. a, a great group of guys that really knew what they were doing. And uh, you know, the Glock folks have been kind of in it for a while, but never to the degree that. Um, you know, the, the H&K folks or the Smith & Wesson folks, and Beretta's pretty much the same way. They, they've had, uh, you know, an, an interest, but, yep. uh, you know, not a whole lot going on. Yep. So today, SIG is the, uh, you know, is the top of the rock. That's uh, right. You know, the facility, the instructors, uh, the company. Um, I mean, what's not to like? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good. Thanks for sharing that history with us. Uh, now, George, I, I, you know, as is typical when I have someone on the podcast, I, I tend to do a little bit of research and stumbled upon a few articles that you've written. Now, you've been published a lot of places, magazines and online and various websites. And uh, yeah, so one thing that I, I came across was an article uh, talking, it's actually on, speaking of USCCA, uh, on the USCCA's website, talking about the wall drill. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, well, what's the wall drill? You know? So I, I, I read that and was like, you know, quite intrigued because I think the, some of the content there and, and what you're, you know, kind of the, the whole point of that is, is really well geared towards what the situation we find people in currently 
with this whole COVID-19 outbreak and people being kind of hunkered down in their homes, uh, probably more than is typical. And so, and here at concealcarry.com, we've been encouraging a lot of people to do uh, drive fire, you know, take advantage of this, this downtime or whatever, uh, wherever you are. And even if you're still busy working or whatever, you know, still drive fire is a, is a great tool. So would you walk us through the wall drill, the concepts behind that and, and kind of explain that for our viewers and listeners here? Sure. Uh, first thing I, I want to say, um, is the, uh, the wall drill can be seen uh, on online. Uh, Downrange TV probably has the uh, the best version of it. Uh, it's about twenty years old. You'll see a George Harris with uh, you know much younger and better looking. <laughs> but um, at any rate, that's I don't know probably three and a half four minutes of. Um, really the the best description and that was done right out of the back pocket michael bain showed up at the academy one day and said uh let's let's do something different and i said fine what do you want to do he says well i want i want to just video you doing you know one of your drills your favorite drill or whatever and i said okay and he says how long will it take you to get ready i says uh, where's the camera and he said uh, well they're outside getting ready i said as soon as you can get them in here i'm ready he <laughs> says well don't you have to you know, get some guns or do something. I said, nope, bring them in here. Let's go, you know. And we did that one. No takes right out of the back pocket. Boom. That was it. And uh, honestly, I think that's probably the the, uh, the best video that I ever did describing the wall drill. Uh, the other one is uh, my last day in uh, the military uniform. Uh, I stayed in the, uh, the reserve program after active duty uh, until they threw me out when uh, I turned 60, which was uh, August of 2010. So, uh, yeah, I'm that old. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, um, they wanted to get a, get some shots of me, you know, with some of the stuff that I had taught the uh, international team. And at that point in time, uh, we had uh, five international championships under our belt with the uh, army reserve combat team and uh, the, uh, the the techniques that we used were all simple they all worked and uh, they were easy to do so they uh, they asked me to you know film those so you'll see the wall drill you know, followed up by the bullet hole drill the reset drill the now drill you know several other things that uh, you can pick up on uh, some of the youtube channels but at any rate the um, the wall drill um, was a cure to a problem that I had, and um, that problem was is that um, I and I found that this is is very common for a lot of shooters. As as I was pulling the trigger, my eye focus was leaving the sights and going downrange towards the target. And uh, even though I was a pretty darn good shooter, I, I knew that I could do better than what I was doing. And then I, I found out that the target was was uh, in focus about the time that the gun went off. And I knew that that really wasn't what uh, what we were trying to do. So um, I tried to make myself stay on the sights, but uh, I had done this for so long that I'd created a habit that I literally couldn't will myself to stay on the sights through the release of the shot from the barrel. So being the hard-headed, stubborn guy that I am, I decided, okay, we will force this issue. And if I have a wall in the way, right at the front sight, right at the muzzle of the gun, my eye can't transition downrange. And, um, when I first started doing that, my eyes actually hurt. I physically had pain in my eyes because they were conditioned that as my hand moved or my trigger finger moved the trigger, uh, my eye wanted to move away from the sights. So at any rate, I forced the issue and my uh, precision marksmanship uh, got better because I stayed on the sights through the release of the shot. 
So the idea here uh, originally with the wall drill was just to keep my eyes on the front sights, uh, front sight uh, until the hammer fell. And what I also found is that um, with the, the wall in the way and me looking at the front sight, uh, I found that the front sight in some cases, depending on how I manipulated the trigger, uh, would move in the rear sight notch ever so slightly when the hammer fell. Well, you and I both know that that means that the muzzle was also moving slightly as opposed to the target. And, of course, the further you were away from the target, geometrically speaking, the further the shot was off center. So I learned that uh, in some cases um, my, my uh, trigger finger wasn't doing a, uh, the perfect job of moving the trigger parallel to the frame. I also learned that my fingers, uh, my little finger in particular, uh, after my hand got tired, uh, when I was moving the index finger, would start to tighten up and would cause the gun to move a little bit. And uh, I started to learn that my grip was changing ever so slightly with one hand or with two hands. So what that helped me to do was diagnose these little deficiencies that I had no idea that I was doing and, uh, and achieve the, the ultimate goal of being able to pull the trigger with my eye focus on the front sight. And when the hammer hit the firing pin or the striker released or whatever took place to fire the gun, nothing changed with the gun. So there was no added movement whatsoever that would cause the front sight to move out of literally as perfect as I could make the alignment with the rear sight. So I did this right-handed only, left-handed only. I did it uh, two hands, both sides. I even did it upside down. And, um, you know, some... Some people have uh, seen me. I think I'm on film somewhere. I don't even know where it is now. Uh, standing on one foot, shooting the gun left-handed upside down, patting myself on the head with the, uh, with the other hand or rubbing my belly or whatever with the other hand and shooting a really nice group at, uh, you know, 10, 15 yards. Mm. And the, the point with all that was is to prove that all you got to do is to stabilize the muzzle on the target and operate the trigger without changing that stability and you will shoot as good as the gun is going to shoot with the ammunition that you're shooting in it. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, that's a theme that has come up in, on this show uh, many a times uh, from a variety of shooters uh, and folks we've interviewed, you know, cause it, it's the truth. It's a, this is, you know, I'm, I just, I just have a grip module here that I'm holding, you know, of a P320, but uh, you know, if that thing is on target when the trigger goes bang, I mean, that's guess where the bullet's going, you know? <laughs> right, right. Well, I, you know, they, they, one of the things that I, I like to talk about when I'm, you know, introducing the shooting course, and I don't care who I'm talking to, whether it's, you know, rank beginners that never touched a gun or, or people that have been professional shooters all their lives, is the, um, the simplicity of, of shooting. And, you know, there are two things that you need to be concerned with when you're working with firearms. Number one, safety. And number two is success. And uh, we define safety as going home with the same amount of holes you left home with. <laughs> and success is hitting the target. You know, the objective of shooting is hitting the target, right? So you can achieve both those with just two things. And most anybody, don't care who you are, can remember two things. And that's muzzle management and trigger finger discipline. And to, to carry those a little further, you know, when we talk about point the muzzle in a safe direction, that means from the time you encounter the gun until the time you put it away, you always need to be aware of where the muzzle is pointing. You know, the safe direction is any direction in which should the gun fire, no personal injury and minimal property damage would occur. Simple. Yep. You know, you go home with the same amount of holes you left home with. Uh, from a success standpoint, if the muzzle's pointing at the target when the bullet comes out, will you or will you not hit the target? Yeah. yeah not hard yeah. to figure that one out, right? Yeah. So, oh, easy on the muzzle management end of things and on the trigger finger discipline end of things, which is the second part of it, is uh, 
uh, no gun just jumps up and starts barking bullets by itself. So if you don't put your finger on the trigger, you don't have to worry about the gun going off, period. Um, if you want to hit something, you need to stabilize the muzzle on the target. Notice I didn't say hold motionless. I just said stabilize, which means hold it as, as still as you can and operate the trigger without affecting that stability. Mm. And that's where the wall drill comes in. Because if you're having trouble hitting a target, um, unload the gun, go find a, a vertical surface. It could be the target you're shooting at if you just walk down range and do some wall drill stuff. Look at your front sight every time the hammer or the, the trigger releases the hammer or the striker, and you'll see what's going on. It ain't rocket science. You know, very easy to diagnose, you know, what you're doing. Yep. So going back to square one, muzzle management, trigger finger discipline will give you safety and success. And if you can give that to anybody, you know, there are only two things to remember. You've given a person something that makes sense, that's not arguable, and will help keep them safe and relative, relatively successful. And that's, uh, you know, we need safe and successful people in our, our business. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned something there that uh, I really identify with uh, when you're talking about safety, right? And that was, you talked about being aware of the muzzle of your gun and where it's pointed. Because we, we actually crafted, uh, I mean, they're, 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 they're based on the classic three or four uh, firearm safety rules that everybody's familiar with, but we, we made some tweaks to them. And one of the rules, uh, that rule number one, has to do with we, we added the words being aware of the muzzle of the gun, being aware of what you're doing with the gun, uh, because that's what I think is probably the biggest failure. Uh, safety-wise, that people make with gun, they forget that they have a gun in their hands, or what they're doing with it, or where it's pointed. They're 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 focused on something else. They're thinking about this or that, uh, what they're going to have for dinner tonight, uh, whatever it is, and yep. they've lost awareness of where that muzzle's pointing. Yeah, e easy to have what I call cranial vacuumitis. You know, yeah, <laughs> just you right. lose your mind there just for a second thinking about something else. I, I'd like to emphasize the fact that the only dangerous part of the gun is the muzzle. Yep. And that's that's where the bullet comes out, and that's that's where all the business is done. And yep. I also like to emphasize the, the point that you know the gun's stored somewhere. Let's say it's on a gun vault. Well, when you touch the gun, you need to be aware of where the gun's pointed. And then when you take it out of the vault, either put it in the case in the holster or whatever it is that you put it into, you need to be aware of the muzzle. And and then uh, when you take it from the the room that it's in to the car, let's say you're going to go to the range. Well, where is your muzzle pointed? Where is your muzzle pointed in the car? Where is your muzzle pointed when it get, comes out of the car? You know, it goes on and on mm -hmm. and on. And, um, you know, the awareness is, is, uh, is something that needs to be at the peak of your consciousness at all times. Yep. Now, speaking of precision, right. Or, or of you, we, we spent a little bit of time here talking about, you know, if that muzzle is pointing at the target, Yep. The muzzle is square to the target, yep. perfectly aligned. Yep. Uh, that trigger is pressed in such a way that it doesn't disturb that. Yep. Uh, you don't input any additional, you know, tweaks, creaks, you know, twists, whatever of, of yep. your hands, arms, grip, uh, wrists. Yeah. That bullet's going to go there. Uh, a few a little while back, I did some some math. Believe it or not, I did some math. Oh, uh, I, I, You're not taking the shoes off to do much math. <laughs> I like math, okay, but you know, I heard this thing, and I've heard it mentioned a couple of times, and it had to do with well, a one sixteenth inch uh, deviation in your sights uh, will translate to four inches at twenty five yards of you know either hitting or you're missing by four inches, and I'm like, well, that can only be true based on a certain sight radius. So I had to do some calculation and figure out, you know, where that. Uh, oh wait, not twenty five yards. I think it was at uh, seven yards. I think that's what. Yeah, seven yards. Uh, so a uh, uh, quarter inch, or not a quarter inch, a uh, 16th inch deviation in your side alignment, seven yards, translates yep. to about four inches. That's true mm -hmm. in a gun with a sight radius of about a J-frame revolver. Yep. But coincidentally, what that amounts to is about, it's a little bit less than a degree, one full degree of deviation in that alignment. Okay. One degree is about 4.6 inches 
one degree deviation in your in your alignment of a gun is about four point six inches at seven yards. Okay. That's pretty substantial, right? Like, yeah. if you think about it, you go like one degree. That's not very much, but one degree could be the difference between hitting and not hitting. That's true. So, uh, in another article uh, of yours that you wrote, uh, you're talking about you know the importance of, of precision, and uh, it's actually an article I'll reference uh, from Action Target. And by the way, for folks uh, on the podcast, uh, everything I'm talking about here today, this USCCA article we talked about, uh, this one that I'm talking about now with George, uh, those links will be uh, in the in the notes or description of these epi- of this episode. But uh, you know, precision shooting is—you actually said something in there. You said precision shooting is a total mystery to some, simply because they are confused about what they must see to consistently hit the target. That's correct. And I thought that was really insightful. That, that that's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of depth in in that statement like that. Precision shooting a mystery to some because they're confused about what they must see to consistently hit the target. So a couple things here. I'm going to throw some questions at you and then let you uh, run away with it. Oh, number I one. Number one, number one uh, why, particularly, you know, even in a defensive context, why is precision important? Why is it important that we master the fundamentals in such a way that we can shoot with precision? And two, what do we need to see and what do we need to not be confused about, in other words, to kind of answer this statement that you made here so that we can, can consistently hit the target? Okay. So let's take uh, number one first, uh, you know, about the precision and the things. Um, precision is literally being able to hit the target, whatever the target is. So let's, let's take a, uh, a combat type situation. Uh, if you look at, um, you know, the upper center mass of the, the human, you're talking about a, uh, maybe an eight inch circle or whatever. So let's say an eight inch paper plate, mm-hmm. right? For, for discussion purposes. That gives us something that, um, you know, we can use as a cardboard target and, uh, you know, gives us an idea as to what we need to be able to hit. All right. So we need to be able to hit that under all circumstances. It could be shooting while moving, could be shooting at distance. It could be shooting in low light. It could be shooting with one hand or the offhand, uh, you know, all the combinations. But all of your shots have to be precise enough to hit that plate. So. You know, what a lot of people think is, you know, precision is shooting every shot in the same hole. And that's good. And that's good if you can do that. But, um, you know, when you add all the other factors in, um, precision is being able to put the shots where you want to when you need to. So if you can hit that eight inch plate, that eight inch area of, uh, you know, somebody's chest that's trying to kill you. you've you, you've got enough precision so uh if we in a um, static situation in other words when we are on the range just practicing if we can shoot with uh, very uh tight acute precision in other words shoot every shot in the same hole at you know whatever distance do you think if you could do that 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 would enhance your ability when other factors are thrown into the mix? And the answer is, of course, yes. Right. Um, I don't think anybody will argue with me that uh, trigger control is the name of the game. Uh, and it, that, that's what causes us to, uh, you know, to move the gun off the target. You know, as we were talking with the, the wall drill earlier, uh, improper trigger finger placement uh, on the trigger uh, or changing your grip or increasing grip tension as your trigger finger is moving, that all moves the muzzle off the target. And, uh, you know, as you, you stated, uh, the further you were away from the target, the, um, uh, the greater the, the shot differential from the center of the target to, you know, to the side or, you know, where, wherever it's not supposed to go. Right. So that's, uh, that's the, the, the thing that we need to, to think about. How preci- precise do we need to be? Now, the other part of it is, is when we 
are working on precision and site alignment. You know, we need to understand why site alignment is important and why I focus on the sites is important. And we, we need to understand uh, literally what we need to see in order to, for it to make sense. And if it makes sense, we'll do it. Okay, so the reason we align the sites is, as you referred to earlier, is to get the muzzle square to the target. All right? That's the reason that, that sight alignment is, is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, it literally squares the muzzle up. And if your front sight moves left, right, upward, or downward, that means that the angle of the muzzle to the target is no longer perpendicular. Okay? So does that make sense? Yep. So as a former uh, carpenter, I... That makes a you lot know, of sense. Yeah, you're all right. So <laughs> exactly, you know. Uh, so the the idea here is to get the muzzle absolutely 100% perpendicular to the target. If we let the eye do what it naturally does, and the eye will naturally center the front sight and the rear sight notch. Um, Literally, we just superimpose that sight alignment over the target, which equates to sight picture. And uh, if we can move the trigger without changing that sight alignment, we're exactly where we need to be. So one of the things that that we we need to understand, and this is a a nice little tidbit that helps the the shooter to self-diagnose, is uh, look at the the front sight and see the front sight. Now, from a defensive standpoint, uh, which is what I do more of than than uh, a lot of other things, I like to have a dot in the front sight, you know, like a night sight or whatever. And as I look through the window, keyword being window, as I look through the window of the rear sight notch, the eye will automatically center the dot in that notch, horizontally as well as vertically. I superimpose that dot over top of whatever it is that I want to hit. Now, to to deviate here just for a minute, most everybody is familiar with red dot sights on rifles and now on pistols. You put the dot on it and shoot it. All right? So you use the front sight dot uh, as you would the red dot, the only thing you've got to do is to view it through the rear sight notch or the rear sight window. And you put the dot on it, uh, whatever it is you want to shoot, and pull the trigger. So how do you know you, your eye focuses on the, the front sight? That's number one. And how do you know your eyes are even open? Because I'm going to tell you more than 50% of the shooters that you, if you were to observe them, when they pull the trigger, they shut their eyes when the gun goes off. Mm. So let's go back to proving whether your eyes are open or not and whether they're focused on the front sight or not. And you don't need to tell me, uh, you know, you can lie to yourself if you want to, but, you know, that, that doesn't do you any good. So what takes place when the bullet exits the muzzle? What follows that bullet right out of the muzzle? What do you think? You tell me. Well, what f- follows the, the bullet would be some, some pressure, some gas. There you go. And then, and then of course, we have recoil, uh, the opposite reaction of all that that's occurring that starts to move everything up and back. Yeah, we don't care about the, the recoil right now. Right. But I, I'm going to tell you, and you hit it right on the head. And, and I refer to it as smoke, flash, and blast, mm. or some sort of atmospheric disturbance. All right? So when we see that uh, from the side, when somebody else is shooting, we'll mm. notice that, you know, that, that, uh, that smoke, flash, and blast it comes out in a, uh, a plume-type uh, shape and certainly covers the front sight. So if your eye focus were on the front sight, do you think it would be reasonable to expect you to be able to see that smoke flash and blast, that atmospheric disturbance when the bullet exits? And the answer is yes. You see it every time, or it happens every time, 
And you will right. see it if your eyes are focused on the front sight and your eyes are open. When we go back to semi-automatic pistols, there's one other thing that gives us a little bit of a clue, and it happens every time. You know, we just talked about seeing the front sight through the rear sight notch, correct? Right. All right. So there's this hole in the slide that something comes out of that's between the front sight and the rear sight. And every time we pull the trigger, something comes out of that hole. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. It happens every time. Not arguable. And if you're not seeing it, your eyes are shut when you pull the trigger. Yep. How about that? Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, that's a great uh, that's a great test. I mean, because uh, you either see it or you don't, right? Exactly. And uh, I talk about it sometimes, just talking about like I want to I want to see the exact moment. I mean, we're talking about the millisecond that I see that front sight go bloop and jump up, because if I see that, it it, it tells me a couple of things. One, it tells me the exact alignment of where that was at the moment the bullet left the muzzle and then it tells me that i'm that you know that that my eyes are open that i am seeing what's going on right so so it tells me like that's that's the beginning of understanding how to even you know sometimes people talk about the idea of calling your shots sure knowing like it's not just i think my bullet went there it's i know where that went i don't have to even see the target Exactly. Because I know where my sights were at the exact moment that it went bang. Exactly. Exactly. So the the uh, if you think about this for a second, you know, we talk about follow through in any eye hand coordinated sport, baseball, golf, you know, you, you could go on forever. Um, follow through is necessary until you see the flash. And, you know, when do you see the flash? Well, that's when the, the bullet just left the muzzle. Gun hasn't even started to recoil yet. Right. You know, so the, 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 once the bullet has lost contact with the muzzle, it's on its way and it's nothing you can do about it. it whether it's a good shot, bad shot, or, an, you know, mediocre shot, doesn't make any difference. Once that bullet loses contact with the gun, uh, it's out of your control. That's right. Then you can go go right to work, uh, you know, on your next shot. Um, you know, I it, it's arguable, you know, with a lot of people as to what, uh, you know, what your reset is and your follow through is and all that. You know, I can bore you with all the details, but literally once you see the flash, once you recognize the fra- flash and the brass coming out of the gun, uh, it's time to get the muzzle back on the target, you know, reset the trigger and get ready to shoot the next shot. Yeah. In other words, what we might refer to as a recovery, recovery of that shot, I mean, or recovering of the, you know, I want to come back to where I started from is, is the way I think. Well, and, and you know, that's, that's a, a, a real good way of putting it because your body will let you come right back to where you started from if you don't force it. And, you know, over the years, I can't tell you how many people I've seen, you know, they they shoot the shot and then they force the gun back to the target and then they have to bring the gun up to get it back on the target. Well, that's wasted motion. You went all the way past the target. Now you got to bring the gun back up on the target, find the sights, find the target, put the two of them together and then pull the trigger. My God, I could time you with, you know, a a sundial, you know, (laughs) doing that kind of stuff. You know, if you let your body, and this is one of the things that I've, you know, I've been very successful with. If you just let your body do what comes naturally, you will be as successful as you possibly can be. It's when you interfere with your natural ability that uh, slows you down and decreases performance. Mm. One of the things that can be challenging for some shooters is, uh, you know, once they start mastering the basics of what we're talking about here right you know mm-hmm. seeing the sights superimposed on target uh uh you know not disturbing the muzzle as i'm pressing that trigger you know they might find success in that at a at a slower rate of fire right you know more of a precision based you know i'm uh 
just trying to hit bullseyes here. So I'm, you know, one, whether that's one shot a second or one shot every five seconds. But when we start picking up the pace, again, maybe, you know, this is the Concealed Carry Podcast. So there's a lot of what we do here that is very defensive oriented. Yep. Uh, what, what insights do you have about being able to uh, continue, you know, successfully, you know, as far as applying those, those fundamentals, as far as uh, maintaining focus, right on what's important there in other words the alignment of the gun uh and seeing that on the target how can we start you know speeding things up in other words have a plan so what the plan is is you shoot the shot you see the the you know flash smoke flash and blast as the muzzle rises you should be releasing the trigger to the reset point at the peak of the upward movement of the muzzle, you should have reset the trigger. And as the gun settles back to its original location, now notice how I said that, as the gun settles back mm. to its original location, that's letting the gun settle. That's mm. not forcing it back. As the gun settles back to its original location, you have taken up the slack on the trigger and started trigger pressure so that when the front sight comes back to the center of the target, or the proper position on the target for what your eye sees, the gun should fire. Mm. So as the gun's going up, you're releasing the trigger forward. And as the gun's coming down, you're pulling the trigger to the rear. Not everybody can be Jerry Micklick or, or sure. uh, you know, <laughs> any, any of these other folks. Uh, you know, you can only shoot as fast as you can hit. But if you look at speed being the economy of motion that came from Mike Plaxco back in the mm. stone age sometime, right? You know, speed is economy of motion. So, um, if you don't use any extra errant movements, you're as fast as you're going to be. Yeah. And the same thing with your thought processes, you know, we, we could get into the, you know, the mental aspects, we can get into the visual aspects, we can get into the biomechanical aspects, and we can get into the combination of all three of those blended together. Yeah. So, uh, matter well, of fact, I'm writing a book for USCCA that if I ever get this thing done, <laughs> um, we'll have all that information in it. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll have it in print one of these days before I decide to uh, just cash in my chips entirely. Yeah. That's that, that's great, man. I uh, wish you the best luck in writing that book. I can only imagine uh, the, but, the dedication it requires. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> with this coronavirus and all these other things, and uh, you know, all the other distractions that have been going on, you know, and it's it's like uh, marching in bubblegum. But uh, <laughs> you know, I'm getting there. It, it'll it'll get done. So uh, it's just yeah. a matter of time. Uh, I I. I appreciate what you said about uh, the gun settling, right? Letting the gun settle. Uh, is that the same thing? You know, what you're getting at there as far as when that next shot is sent towards the target, uh, would that be kind of the same thing as saying that you, you're letting, I mean, really what you should be letting or doing is allowing the sights to dictate the pace. Uh, Pretty much. Word, right? Because the gun's got to settle and you need to see that things are aligned again. But then that that trigger finger is prepped and ready to, you know, as soon as that, like, that's the determining factor is that gun getting settled and back on target. Well, if the sights aren't on the target, is the muzzle on the target or not? Yeah. Well, you don't know. The the sights and the muzzle have some relationship to one another. So, you know, your sights have got to be back on the target. Uh, and, And let me be real clear here. It's nothing wrong with moving the trigger. Uh, before the sights are absolutely stable on the target. It's just that the trigger should not break until the sights are stable on the target. And again, you know, we, we talked precision earlier, you know, how precise do you need to be? Do you need to be the, all the shots in the same hole or do you need to be all the shots in an eight inch circle or, you yeah. know, four inch circle or a 10 inch square or, you know, whatever the target may be. Yep. So as long as the sights are on the target and, and, you know, you've got an acceptable sight picture to to do what you want to, you know, the shot can break and you keep on going. That's right. 
And we do have a question that came in from, uh, or really a request from a viewer here, Mark. He he asks here tips on proper trigger finger uh, placement and tips to prevent the gun from moving during the trigger press. Easy day. Mark, thank you for that. That that uh, I've been trying to figure out a way to get this this in, so uh, you've been able to facilitate that. <laughs> the um, the fact that all of us are, are built a little different means that trigger finger placement can vary from you know individual to individual. You know, I'm I'm big on fitting the gun to the hand of the shooter, but um, you know, we don't always have that choice. You know, in, in the law enforcement community, sometimes it's one size fits all, and we don't care what size your hand is. So we have to look at what the objective is. And the objective is to be able to move the trigger through the the stroke to release the shot without moving the sights or dis- disturbing the, the sight alignment per se. And uh, one of the things that um, I learned, oh God, 50 years ago, I guess. Um, and I didn't really understand it at the time, but I knew that it worked. Now I understand why. But the, uh, the bottom line is, is you need to be able to pull the trigger without moving the front sight out of the rear sight notch. And a good way to do that is to look very hard at and see the front sight envision in your mind that there is a connection or a linkage between the trigger and the front sight. And as you pull the trigger in your mind, you're pulling that front sight centered in the rear sight notch. So it's like the front sight is on a rail. And as you're pulling that that trigger, you're pulling the front sight straight back through the rear sight notch. And that mental um, perspective will cause you to follow that front sight with your trigger movement and you won't end up pushing the front sight uh, left, right, or otherwise. So, you know, when somebody tells you, you know, use the tip of your finger or the first joint or whatever, you know, that's all a good place to start. But wherever your front your finger rests on the trigger to allow you to uh, pull the front sight through the rear sight notch to the point that the the shot is released the hammer is released the striker is released that's what you want to be able to do mm-hmm. and it goes right back to the wall drill again um, and incidentally we didn't talk about speed with the wall drill but um, you know you should do that slowly at first uh, just to make sure that you've you've got good control over the, the trigger movement. But uh, after that, you should be able to just uh, literally make it happen instantly. Um, something that, uh, you know, if you looked at my YouTube videos, they, particularly in the military end of things, I uh, had something called a now drill. Uh, mm-hmm. Larry Vickers calls it uh, command detonation, I think, and, and yep. some of the other trainers calls it, you know, call it all kinds of different things. But the bottom line is, is when the, the the uh, buzzer goes off, the whistle blows, or the signal is given, you immediately make the gun go off. But you want to make it go off from a precision standpoint. You don't just jerk the trigger. Yep. So you, you move the trigger very quickly, but you move it precisely so that you don't move the front sight or the muzzle off the target. Mm-hmm. So to come back to your, your question is uh, put your finger on the trigger look very hard at the front sight and move that trigger while making sure that the front sight is uh, in the rear sight notch and and envision a connection between the two until the gun discharges. And you'll find that you've got just tremendous results with that. Mm. Well, clearly uh, your uh, impact on SIG Academy and uh, the culture and the legacy that you've left there is still present because uh, I've heard literally, I've heard that exact uh, example you just gave about pulling the re- the front sight through the rear sight from, I don't remember which instructor it was, but I, I know I've heard that very same thing at the Academy just in the last few years. Yeah, well, that's, you know, I, I developed something called the SIG principle. Mm-hmm. And, 
simple you know, is good. Yeah, simple is good. You know, it's a it's a twenty five percent improvement over the KISS principle because we eliminated one of the letters. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's true, right? Yep. So so um, you know, one of the things, and and to to go back to you know the base and the legacy and all that kind of good stuff. Um, years ago, when I was a youngster trying to learn how to shoot, you know, and just trying to soak up everything I could, a lot of the the, the people that I listened to, the firearms instructors and all that, made it so difficult. It was such a long and involved process, you know, to deliver one shot. You know, hell, I'd go to sleep in the middle of the presentation. It was so long sometimes. So, um, the the uh, bottom line is, is I I'm a, I'm a Professionally speaking, I'm, I'm a student of adult learning. You know, how do you transfer information in the, in the most efficient, economical, and safe way? So we all learn A, B, C, one, two, three. You know, that means we can we can realize you know two to three bits of information at a pop, and anytime we add more to that, it uh, it tends to displace some of the things that were important that you needed to know. So I looked at it from the standpoint of how do we how do we do this? And so we started to teach whatever we taught in steps of three, preferably, you know, and, and let's take the draw as an example. You know, we we uh, uh, started with access. That means, you know, put put your hand on the, the gun, you know, release the retention straps or whatever it is. You know, you, you uh, uh, get your shooting grip. Uh, withdraw is to get the gun out of the holster. And uh, I, I like to bring it straight up as high as we can and then rotate the wrist forward. The reason being is because as soon as the muzzle is pointing at the target, we can put our finger on the trigger. Uh, if the gun is, is uh, straight up and then straight out, you know, we literally can shoot in a compressed type situation or, or not, you know, our choice. Whereas if we are, you know, moving at an angle that, that makes it different. And of course, the third part of the uh, the equation is drive, and uh, you know, you'd literally drive the gun just like you were going to punch somebody with your fist. You drive the gun towards the target, uh, your fingers on the trigger, and you're pulling the trigger uh, as the mo- gun is moving towards the target. And at uh, full extension or, or pretty close, gun goes bang. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you really can't do it any quicker than that. Or if you can, I don't know how, but, you know, so simple is good. Yeah. Simple is good. (laughs) ABC one, two, three. So everything we do is, you know, uh, point gun at target, pull trigger, hit target. Yep. And everything else is just a, a refinement of that. Yeah. I I say everything else is, uh, fender skirts, curb feelers, and whip antennas. (laughs) Nice to have, but not necessary. And that's, you know, so. Yeah, that's great. This is good stuff. Uh, and I know that the viewers and listeners are enjoying it, George, uh, you know, with the comments and things that are coming in. And uh, I'm really looking forward to us getting back together again in about a week uh, for right. the Guardian Nation Live event. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, we can I, build I, upon I, some of these even further. We can we can talk about that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, Matthew and I talked about was um, – you know, we we need to expand our base, our base mm-hmm. meaning fellow shooters, you know, in this country. And, um, you know, just simple things, get yep. more people involved. And if we can make shooting simple, you know, the mechanics of it simple, it will make it easier for people to get involved. Because so many people think that this is difficult and, oh, my God, you know, it's hard to do and, you know, you, you've got to practice for 30 years in order to be able to hit anything and all that. And I mean, literally in, in less than an hour, I can turn you into a shooter, uh, not a tactician, but a shooter as good as 99% of the police officers in the country today. Mm-hmm. Really easy stuff. Yeah. Well, so, and I agree with you. I mean, this, it's uh, if we want the Second Amendment to, to survive, especially so, we got to keep bringing the people in because what we've seen culturally over the last century is such a such a deviation you know i mean where where guns were a part of everyday life a part of the culture it was because it was a part of life 
And as we've become more industrialized, more uh, technologized, that's become less and less of a, of a necessity. And, and thus, you know, by nature, we, we lose that identity and we lose that culture. And before we know it, we might lose those rights too. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate the work that you're doing, you know, in memory and in honor of your wife uh, with the Linda uh, Harris Scholarship. Uh, I know you guys did a big announcement about that uh, last year at the uh, expo. Uh, I don't know if you were planning on being the expo again this year. That, of course, is now canceled. Uh, so Yeah, it's we gonna... actually have selected the second recipient. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not really sure what we're going to do, you know, with it. Beth Grote was the... Uh, the first and uh you know she's done a lot uh, i actually had her uh come and train directly with me for just uh you know for a few days and uh you know she's taken that back she lives in the cincinnati area and she's taken that back to you know her home range and the, the uh, gun shop that she works with and um uh, uh, and she's taken some other courses with the USCCA folks. And, you know, she is a real star. As a matter of fact, she started to write for the magazine now. So, mm. um, you know, that's, you know, we need women in leadership positions that uh, can take the ball and run with it. And, you know, she's one of them. Yeah. This this is not just a a man, a men's sport or community. Uh, and I agree that that is something I think that's something that's been lost as well. Cause I mean, if you look even historically, there's a, I mean, geez, go back to Annie Oakley. I mean, women have been involved with guns mm. for a long time. Let me let you in on a little secret. Mm. So, you know, I, I think I told you earlier that we went from a, a cost center to a profit center at, uh, at the SIG Academy, you know, and, and at that point in time, it was costing me $4,000 every day just to break the lock on the gate. Mm. So I had to generate some revenue and yeah. I looked at women, you know, uh, my uh, my grandmother was the woman that got me started in, in shooting, you know, at the ripe old age of three. So, you know, I, I started with woman's influence. My wife was a world-class shooter. Uh, she had actually used a gun twice in the uh, defense of her honor. And, uh, you know, she was a hunter, uh, you know, on and on. I mean, she was the total package. So mm-hmm. when um, I asked her about what she thought about bringing women into the, uh, you know, the, the academy. She says, let me ask you a question. I said, okay, go ahead. She says, who controls the purse strings to the family? And I said, well, you do. She says, I'm a woman, right? <laughs> yeah. Do you think that it's any different in anybody else's family? No. And all of a sudden the light went from dim to very bright. <laughs> and I realized that women control the the household budget. Okay. That's disposable income. All right. So if you get the women involved in the shooting, you get them interested in buying guns and shooting sports. Guess who else buys guns and shooting and, and participates in shooting sports along with it? The kids and the old man and everybody else, her friends. And all of a yeah. sudden we realized that women run the show. You know, uh, particularly when it involves disposable income. And I got to tell you, uh, we started doing women's only classes and they were a hit. They still are today. And, um, you know, Mrs. Harris was right. Women do run the show when it comes to the purse strings. So success. Now, you know, there you go. (laughs) Well, I've enjoyed uh, this chat with you today, George, and uh, I really appreciate you being on the podcast with me today. Glad to glad to do it uh, anytime, and uh, you know, thank everybody for listening. I appreciate it. Take a friend to the range, and uh, remember, muzzle management and trigger finger discipline will give you both safety and success. Yeah, that's a great place to to end it as well, <laughs> guys. Uh, guys and gals, don't forget uh, if you want to see more of and learn more from George, a perfect opportunity and one that is, you know, the format of the GN Live event is is really. You know, our goal with those is for them to be driven by the members with members' comments and especially their questions. So, you know, the every one of us is in a different 
you know, in a different place on our journey as we're becoming better shooters and better self and, and home defenders. Uh, so, you know, come prepared, come with your questions for George. And again, if you're not already a Guardian Nation member, well, I'd encourage you to get signed up today. Uh, take advantage of our 14 day free trial at concealedcarry.com forward slash one four D A Y. So, that is a wrap for at least this episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast, and we appreciate everyone that's been a part of this, uh, viewers, listeners, and of course, our special guest, George Harris of International Firearms Consultants. In fact, what's what's your website, George? Um, it's uh, www.ifcllc.us. Great. And I, I will have to tell you, I put that up uh, in 2011. And I have almost not changed it since, <laughs> um, simply because I am so busy. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I consult in the industry with all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, I, I really don't need any more business. Um, but good, good uh, for you. It, it's, it's fun. And uh, I tell people, you know, I've retired three times. I'm like a bad dog killing chickens. I just can't quit. Um, I just love doing what I do, and I'm, I'm not going to stop. The only only difference between working and doing this is I can do what I want when I want most of the time. Good, good for you, man. And well, of course, we wish you the best. And so, right, thanks. Uh, thanks for with, having. With that, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. And a, a reminder, as is tradition on this show guys gals get out there and train right train often and train safe so you can fight hard fight fast and fight true take care <laughs>